All right, y'all, this morning we are starting a new sermon series, uh, so go ahead and grab your Bibles. We're going over to uh, Nehemiah, probably not a book you flip too often, but that's all right. Nehemiah, it's in the Old Testament. If you're using one of our Bibles, we're going over to page 404, page 404 in one of the Bibles in the seats around you, Nehemiah chapter 8. All right, while you're flipping over there, do me a favor. And uh, I want you to think about a time that you felt joy. You're like, I didn't even hear what you just said. All right, let me repeat it. I want you to think about a time you had joy. Like a time that you had, like, real joy. Not just a, you know, like, oh yeah, okay, I had a little bit of fun. I mean, like joy. Do you remember it? Good. Hold on to that memory. As you're thinking about it, can you feel it again? Maybe a little bit. Maybe the outer edges of it. There's a texture to it. Color. Joy is a multi-sensory experience. Lights us up. It's powerful. It's funny how joy, when you feel joy, it makes you feel other things along with it. Right? Joy, joy always brings her friends along with her. Right? Like hope, courage, energy. Right? When you feel joy, you feel a whole collection of things along with joy. And they're pleasant and life-giving. So hold that thought. We're going to come back to it. Today we're going to be talking about joy. We're going to be talking about the feeling of joy and the importance of joy to us. Um, if you are in that moment currently, praise God drink deeply if that memory is distant and the feeling's far away take hope so we'll talk about how you can get back to it not just back to it but actually beyond it something better because uh, honestly every joy that we experience in this life points us to a better joy a truer joy actual joy and that's the joy that we long for honestly so we're going to get into that. All joy is good. All joy is good. And all joy makes us strong. But if we're going to grow in, in real strength, the kind of strength that isn't dependent on external circumstances, isn't dependent on a good day, isn't dependent on a vacation or, um, or, or something else outside of us, we have to learn how to take true joy in the joy of the Lord. Because the joy of the Lord is the joy underneath every other joy. It's the bedrock of joy and the source of true joy. That's what we're going to be digging into this morning. Uh, so we're going to be taking a look at Nehemiah chapter 8, verses 8 through 12. We're going to be focusing on verse 10, but uh, I want to read verses 8 through 12. Uh, all right. They read from the book, from the law of God, clearly 
and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra, the priest and scribe, and the Levites, who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet wine, and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. For this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be quiet, for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and to drink and to send portions and to make great rejoicing because they had understood the words that were being declared to them. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, Nehemiah. Uh, Nehemiah. Nehemiah is uh, a figure in the Old Testament, a political figure, a, a, a leader uh, who came at a pretty important point in Israel's history. We read the book of Nehemiah and we read the story of a generation of Israelites who returned to Israel from exile. Uh, and honestly, many of them weren't the ones who were exiled. They were the children of those who were exiled or the children's children of those who had been exiled. Um, but they had been taken to Babylon. Um, some of them had been taken to Assyria, uh, and, and Babylon took over Assyria and all kinds of fun world history. But the end result is that they had lost their, their national identity, they had lost their home, and they had become integrated into Babylonian society. Nehemiah opened up the opportunity for them to return back to Jerusalem. <clears throat> Jerusalem had been run over, the walls had been torn down, the gates had been burned. Uh, it was a desolate city and uh, vulnerable to attack. And Nehemiah um, led this courageous group of returning Israelites uh, to Jerusalem. And, uh, and as you read through the book of Nehemiah, it's a pretty exciting story. They get, uh, the, the people are, are opposing them and mocking them and even attacking them uh, as they rebuild the walls. God continues to give them favor and allow this to take place. And, and in the end, the walls are rebuilt. The gate is restored. They, they do um, begin worshiping God once again in Jerusalem. And part of that was the rediscovery of the Mosaic Law, the, the covenant, the Torah. Um, they had lost their, their uh, ability to, to um, have their public worship. And, uh, and Ezra, who was the, uh, the priest uh, working alongside Nehemiah, who was the leader, um, decides they're going to have a public reading of the Torah. This is, this is how they engage the Bible, right? And so they had really their first public worship service. Uh, they opened up the Torah, the Old Testament, the law. They read it and they gave its meaning, which meant both that they translated it because many of the people had lost their ability to speak Hebrew and were now speaking Aramaic. Uh, but also, they were pulling out the meaning, right? So very much like a sermon, right? They were, they were taking the text, and they were opening it up, and they were preaching it to the people. And as they did, the people started having an overwhelming sense of sorrow. Sorrow at loss. Sorrow at, at uh, grief that, that, that they were learning about this law that, that 
They didn't know or understand. They realized that they had been out of covenant with God and in violation of their covenant obligations to God. They had grown distance from the God of the covenant. They no longer knew the God of Israel. And as they were overwhelmed with sorrow and as they were, as they were dealing with the, the, the mourning of all of the loss, they realized that as they read, uh, they were actually in the season for the Feast of Booths. And so um, there were seasons um, for festivals in the, required by the Old Testament law. And so as you went through the year, you would have certain festivals that were required, right? So, so they, they had to do these things. And the Feast of Booths was, um, I think, probably the best of the Old Testament feasts. I mean, it was, uh, it was something else, right? It, it, it was a feast of gratitude and celebration. Uh, it looked back to their deliverance out of Egypt because when they left Egypt, they spent a season wandering in the wilderness and they had to build booths. And you're like, what's a booth? It's a tent. It's a, it's a, it's a lean-to. It's a temporary structure. And as they traveled through the wilderness, they had to build these temporary structures to house themselves until they reached the, the promised land in which God would deliver them out of their wanderings, right? And so um, the Feast of Booths was a season when everybody, it was, it was um, just before the fall, so you have beautiful weather, uh, and, and the entire community would go out and basically just have a, a, a shared camping experience. Everybody would go out and they'd build these booths. And they would, they would, they would, the kids would be running everywhere and everybody's sharing their food. And, and um, it's just, and you're like, I hate camping. That sounds horrible. Um, okay, all right. You just haven't done it right yet, but that's all right. Um, but that, it was like that. Like they would go out and they would build these booths and, and it was a huge community experience. And, and like, you know, as a kid, I, I just can't imagine something better just running from tent to tent to tent and getting like the best food and, and just playing. And, and, um, and at night, man, you're sleeping out underneath the stars. And so it looked back to, to the deliverance of, of Egypt out of Israel or uh, well, <laughs> uh, Israel out of Egypt. Never got Egypt out of Israel, but um, or out of us. But uh, they delivered. They, they looked back to God's deliverance out of the nation, and, and it filled them with gratitude, and it renewed their faith in the God who, who intervened in history. Right? We look back, we see how God worked, and it kind of revives our faith, and it and it revives our gratitude. But they also looked forward to the coming harvest right? Because the harvest is coming. They've already done the hard work of tilling and sowing and weeding and waiting, and, and they're just about ready to harvest the benefit of all of their labor. And so the Feast of Booths both looked back uh, to renew their gratitude and increase their faith, but also looked forward in anticipation that the God who had blessed them in the past was going to continue pouring out his blessing on the future. So as they realized that in the reading of the law, they were, in fact, at the season for the Feast of Booths. It was, in fact, the right week for it to take place. Uh, Ezra and Nehemiah commanded the nation of Israel, this isn't the time for mourning. Put away your tears. This is the time for celebration. This is the time for us to, to, to let's go have some fun. Let's go build our booths. Let's go share our food. Let's go, let's go worship our God. Let's renew our joy. And that's really the beauty of this moment, right? It's a time to look back for gratitude, a time to look forward with anticipation. But in the middle of it, it's a time 
to rediscover joy. It is a time to be joyful. In the middle of it, you have uh, Nehemiah 8.10, just an incredibly beautiful verse. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. There's a powerful connection revealed here between joy and strength. Joy and strength are, are intertwined. You, you can't be strong without joy. And you can't have joy without growing strong. Joy and strength are, are uh, intertwined. And, and, you know, when something makes us feel strong, secure, significant, worthwhile, it makes us feel joy. And when we feel joy, it increases the internal sense of fortitude, contentment, courage, strength, right? And, and there's really nothing that surprising here. Joy and strength go hand in hand. They always have, right? This is a common theme throughout Old Testament wisdom literature. We don't have to turn to Brene Brown or other modern, um, in, you know, heart uh, uh, insight people. It, it, this is ancient wisdom, right? Uh, Proverbs 17.22 says, A joyful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. A joyful heart is good medicine. Like, like joy works on you like a good medicine, it just fixes what's wrong. It, 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 it takes away what is draining and sapping your life. Uh, it, 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 it gives you a renewed sense of vigor, right? It, it, like you have a stomach virus that is absolutely wrecking you, and then you find out that it, in fact, can be treated. And you take the medicine, and it's like, oh, I can eat and feel good again. I can have energy. I can, that's what joy does. Joy comes in like good medicine, but man, a crushed spirit, man, it dries up the bones. It makes you feel brittle, weak, and vulnerable. You lose your joy. You lose your strength, right? Proverbs 15, 13, a glad heart makes a cheerful face. But by sorrow of heart, the spirit is crushed. We often, uh, one of the pastoral pieces of advice I was given fairly early on was you can tell a lot. You've got to pay attention to somebody's countenance um, or the countenance of their spouse. <laughs> you can learn a lot about somebody by looking at the countenance of their spouse or theirs if they're honest. Somebody's going to tip the hat. Um, it comes out. When you have joy, your face glows. When you have joy, it changes the tone of your voice. When you have joy, it absolutely transforms the way you interact with others. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, if you're at a workplace that somebody has joy, you know it. They just light up the cubicle, right? They, they're, just, they're just easier to be around, right? They, they, they're the kind of people that um, you're like, man, I'm feeling a little drained. I'm just going to go stand about five feet away from them, and you can feel like yeah, life, you know, life force is getting re renewed and, and, and reinvigorated. You know what I'm saying? But, but the opposite is also true. Sorrow of heart. By the sorrow of heart, the spirit is crushed. Um... When the joy is gone, uh, everything feels flat, 
impossible. And you know this as well. You know, if you're around somebody who has a crushed spirit, um, it requires a lot of energy. It requires a lot of strength to be with them. And I don't mean that in a bad way. Like sometimes that's, that's the, the service of pastoral friendship, right? And I'm not meaning pastoral like job description. I'm talking like the spiritual service of coming along somebody and you being the joy to their sorrow, right? You sharing some of, of your joy to reinvigorate their drained battery, right? But there are others that are chronically drained, and they're hard to be around, right? Those people are also in the workplace, and they, you want to stay away from their cubicles, right? Um, head wound Harry and, and, and Debbie Downer, right? Those are the folks that, that when you're around them too long, man, you just start feeling like, yeah, all of life is dark, and I think I no longer want to even eat, right? It all tastes like sawdust. It just, it saps the, 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 the vigor of life. Listen, when we feel joy, it makes us feel healthy. It makes us feel strong and capable. It, it, it makes us feel content, right? Less grasping, less... It makes us feel confident. Joy gives us that sense of, of I can do this, right? Joy is energy. Joy is power. Joy is strength. So remember that joyful memory I asked you to remember a few moments ago, right? Why does it affect you the way it does? And here's the thing about it. It, it could be anything, right? It could be as varied as the people in this room. It, it could be a moment that you received good news you didn't expect to receive. It could be the moment you achieved something that you worked really, really hard to achieve. Something big. It could be something that no one else even noticed, but it was something that was super incredibly meaningful to you. And it was a private joy. It could have been um, a moment when someone expressed their love to you in an unexpected but welcome way. So many different things. But when you feel that joy, things seem easier. Hard things aren't as hard, right? It's like those little things that, that normally might derail you, like you don't even notice them, right? Slow guy in the fast lane, zero effect on you. You're just like, cool dude, you be you. I'll pass you on the right. It's all good, right? Hard things aren't as hard. Impossible things seem possible, right? Uh, and, the, and the flip side is also true, that, that when you're filled with joy, the little things that are pleasant give you even more joy, don't they? You're like, this is like the world's best cup of coffee. This is absolutely, what is this coffee? This is phenomenal, right? When your heart is filled with joy, small pleasures magnify the joy, right? It's, it's, it's a, it's a win-win, but the opposite is also true. When you lose your joy, things get harder, don't they? Last spring, I had the opportunity to go on a leadership retreat to Montana. Uh, there was a, a pastor in the Converge Network that we're part of that very generously um, offered to pay my way to this leadership retreat. It was a week of fly fishing and adventure, which is right up my alley. Uh, I had never fly fished before in my life, but uh, I love anything that's new and sounds 
engaging and physical and outdoors. And, uh, and so I learned how to fly fish for trout and, and we hiked and we climbed and we fished and in the evening, every evening we would gather for a shared meal. And this wasn't just a, a fun adventure, it was, it was a leadership retreat and, and the people that were there were, were carefully crafting this week. And each, each night we had something called table time and, and at table time somebody would lead, right? We were all a bunch of pastors and somebody would open up the word, not us, someone else. Right? Somebody else had intentionally designed a brief time right, um, of, of opening the word and, and just ex, you know, bringing some truth out and then leading through, through questions right, so that the table would become talking. Right? We'd all kind of open our hearts and, and share what we're going through and, and our current struggles and hopes and pains and, and those sorts of things. And one evening, Brian, who is the leader of, of the ministry, um, he, uh, he opened up and he shared Nehemiah 8.10. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Just a simple, simple truth, right? One that I was familiar with. And he just reworded it in a way that caught my attention. He said, when we lose our joy, we lose our strength. When we lose our joy, we lose our strength. Now, this is true for pastors, but it's really true for all of us. Here's the thing, when you lose your joy, you lose your strength, but you don't lose your job. Life keeps going. The kids still need to be fed. The contacts still need to be followed up on. The wounded people still need to be cared for. Difficult people still need to be related to. Events still need to be pulled off, right? You lose your joy, you lose your strength, but you don't lose your job. And we're faithful people. We're dutiful people. And so we keep working. Like the oxen, we just dig deeper and push harder. But everything's harder. Even little things. Right? And when we don't feel strong, other things increase. We become more and more discontent. Not just with one thing, but with all things. We become really critical. We start looking around for something, anything that is, can be changed, right? Because there are so many things in life we can't change. We start looking around for something we can change. And we start imagining that if we change this one thing, it'll fix all the other things, right? We, we start looking for what the Old Testament called a scapegoat. It's actually a biblical metaphor, biblical image. This idea that we want to find, right? There is a true scapegoat. We'll get to that later. But we look for a fake one, one that we can put all of our misery on and somehow sacrifice as if that's going to make everything else right. We feel discontent, we feel anxious, we feel grumpy, we feel inadequate. Instead of opportunities, we see threats. Instead of friends, we see enemies. We feel weak and tired and vulnerable. If you lose your joy, you lose your strength. Little things become really hard things. You know, things that would normally be speed bumps, they become roadblocks. Things you can normally just plow right over, man, they just stop you in your tracks. And impossible things, things that are really hard, they cause us to either rage or 
curl up in the fetal position in the corner. And it affects good things too. When we lose our joy and we lose our strength, we lose our ability to take pleasure in small things. A cup of coffee is no longer delightful. It's just hot and brown, giving us the energy we need to be an oxen today and do the things we have to do. The big pleasures can almost become resentments because we know they're supposed to give us joy, but they don't. We know we have to go through the motion of looking like we're happy, even though we are not experiencing a lot of joy inside. Listen, we've all been here. Some of you may be here now. If you feel worn out, tired, like you have an empty tank and you're not even sure how to refill it, you need to renew your strength. And there's only one way to renew your strength, and that is by renewing your joy. And there's no joy that's going to increase your strength like the joy of the Lord. See, there's a lot of things in life that, that give us joy, right? A lot of things that we chase that we know, uh, you know, they give us a little bit of a boost, right? Good fortune, promotions, good relationships, good weather, uh, vacations, experiences, right? There are a lot of things we chase that, that, that we think, man, if I get that new friendship or if I get that accomplishment or if I get that award, man, and, and, and it might for a moment give us a spark, give us a, a, a little bit of a boost. And, and here's the thing, they're all great. There's nothing wrong with these things. They're all great. They're good things. The problem is they're not God things. They were designed to be the appetizers, not the meal. You guys know what a good appetizer is, right? A good appetizer is something that actually prepares you for the meal. I'm not talking about Applebee's, where you get the appetizer called nachos, and it comes out as 10 pounds of melted cheese on top of stale chips with jalapenos, right? By the time you're done eating it, you're not only not hungry for your meal, you may not eat for the next week, right? A good appetizer actually whets your appetite for the meal. It actually sets your palate. It doesn't satiate your hunger. It increases it. It actually prepares you for what is coming. A good appetizer actually prepares you for the feast. It doesn't destroy your ability to enjoy it. That's what the joys of your life are meant to be. The appetizers, not the meal. They, they are... They are designed by a good God to awaken our appetite for his goodness. They are good gifts to us from a good God. The problem is we often look to the gifts of God to be God. We look to the things that God gives us to whet our appetite, and we ask those things to satiate our appetite, which they cannot do. And as a result, we lose not only our joy in the Lord, but we lose our joy in the gifts of the Lord. These are good things. But we have to remember they're designed to point us to our good God. They're great things. But they can't be God things. We need the joy of the Lord not the joy of a promotion or the joy of a vacation or the joy of praise or the joy of acceptance or the joy of, of all of these other wonderful 
worldly, temporary, earthly things. They're good things. They're just not God things. They don't fill you up. They actually make you hungrier. <laughs> you ever notice that? You have a great vacation and you come back and, and what's your first thought? I need more of that. Right? You don't come back and think, okay, I'm fully satiated. I never have to have another vacation again. Right? The problem, though, is you go to that same vacation the second time, you already know what happens, right? It's nowhere near as good as the first time. You can't go back to the same experience and say, okay, now that was a great appetizer, now be my meal. It actually has diminishing returns because it's meant to point you someplace else. It's not meant to become a cul-de-sac. It's meant to be a path on the journey to true joy. It is meant to point you in the right direction, not become the place where you camp. It actually sets you longing. Longing for something true and real and lasting and better. See, these lesser joys are good joys, but they're appetizers but they're just shadows of true joy. They are meant to be markers that point us the way, not the end result of the journey. The joy of the Lord is your strength. So what is the joy of the Lord, and how is it different from these other joys? Well, I think the, the best way I can put it, Cliff Notes' version is this, that, that the joy of the Lord is the joy you take in God's love, not just in God's gifts. The joy of the Lord is the joy that you take in God's love, not just in God's gifts. It doesn't mean you don't take joy in His gifts. But it means that the gifts awaken not only a gratitude for the God who gave them to you, but a hunger for the God who gave them to you. You recognize that, that the good gifts of God are in fact simply a, an appetizer for the greater gift of God Himself. A God of love, a God of grace, a God of mercy, and a God who is ridiculously generous. The joy of the Lord is a special joy that comes from being in a relationship with God, knowing that you are loved by God, that he is for you, for you. Not, not just being aware theoretically or theologically that God will provide for you, but actually growing in faith and confidence in the provision of God. That, that, that even when life throws unexpected expenses or losses at you, you don't get derailed because those things weren't the source of your confidence or joy to begin with, but the God who gave them. The joy of the Lord allows you to navigate this life without losing your true north. It allows you to go through circumstances that are difficult and painful without losing your true joy. Because you never lose the love of God. You never lose the presence of God, the promises of God. He is for you. He provides for you. He protects you. He honors you. He sees you. And he has committed himself to bless you. The joy of the Lord is the joy of having a love that responds to God's love. A gratitude that responds to God's generosity. A faith that responds to God's promises. A hope that responds to God's promised future.
The joy of the Lord isn't simply the pleasure of a beautiful sunset or a good meal. The joy of the Lord is a joy that takes, uh, it responds to the God who created both beauty and pleasure. It is a joy that looks back in gratitude and looks forward with anticipation. When we're full of this kind of joy, that's when we're strong. When we're full of this kind of joy, that's when we can be super grateful when good things happen. And we don't have to wilt or be destroyed when bad things happen. So how do we grow in the joy of the Lord, right? How do we, how do, we do it? How do we, how do we <laughs> right? Man, we need, we need our strength renewed. Do we not? Is it just me? Man, I need it. I need my strength renewed, right? I'm going to tell you the last three years have been a bear. Somebody said we're all walking around with unprocessed trauma. I think that's right. All right? I was looking at my calendars. I was just kind of thinking about some things. Three years ago today, on this weekend, no idea about the great freeze that was just around the corner. Right? Just cruising along. And, and then you go through the great freeze, and you're thinking, okay, once we get movement, once we can start. And then it, it got lifted, and now some of you are like, holy cow, I want to go back. Life needs to slow down. This is exhausting. I can't keep up with all my kids' activities. People want me to actually be in class, right? Listen, we, we need to renew our strength. And to renew our strength, we need to renew our experience of the love of God. How do we grow in the joy of the Lord so that we can renew our strength? That's what we're going to be looking at over the rest of this series. Over the rest of this series, we're going to be looking at some things um, that give us joy but are only pit stops on the way to the true destination. The problem is we like to turn those pit stops into cul-de-sacs. We, we actually want to set up camp and build our nice little suburban house in, in what is simply meant to be a pit stop on the journey, right? And, and so we're going to expose some of those. We're going to talk about some of those, those deceptive temporary joys that we want to make our permanent joys. We're also going to be taking a look at some things that promise us joy, but always break their promises. Those things in this world that, that tempt us with promises of joy and in our exhaustion and our desperation, we give ourselves over to the deceptive promises that come with them only to be crushed by them. So we're going to be looking at some of those deceptive promises that, that always leave us emptier than when we came. And we're going to look at how the Lord always keeps His promises. How when we look back and really look at the character and person of God, it awakens a responding faith and trust because he has proven himself faithful and trustworthy. But it all starts with two things. And this is where we're going to wrap up this morning. It all starts with two things. The first is this, a relationship with God. And the second is a desire to grow in that relationship. Those things are prerequisite. If we want to grow in the joy of the Lord, well, let's start it. If you want to be strong, if you want to stop being so tired, 
so worn out, so exhausted. If you want to stop feeling like a sweater that's got frayed threads that are being pulled in every direction, you need to renew your joy. If you want to renew your joy, you need to renew that kind of joy, the joy of the Lord. And if you want to renew the joy of the Lord, it has to begin with a relationship with the Lord and a desire to grow in that relationship. And so this morning, if you haven't received the grace of God, if you haven't believed in Jesus, man, let me invite you to do so. It's really not that complicated right? God came to you. You don't have to work your way up to God. He's not waiting for you to prove yourself or fix yourself. There's nothing you have to do because he's already done it all. You simply have to receive what he gives. God came to you. God broke into this broken world by becoming one of us. He lived the life we should have lived and then died the death we deserve to die as our substitute in our place taking the consequences of our sin and then facing the death that we unleashed in the world. But he wasn't swallowed by it, consumed and destroyed. He defeated death by dying. And when he rose again, he became our Savior. And he invites us to receive the gift of that grace by simply trusting in him, by simply believing in him and resting in him, not performing for him, proving ourselves to him, trying to make ourselves better for him by simply showing up with our need. The honest vulnerability of our need and saying, Lord, I need to be forgiven. I need to be made new. I need your love. When we show up with our need, man, he gives us all of his grace. So there's our first step, man. That's how you begin your relationship with God is by simply showing up with the honest vulnerability of your need and the faith to say, Lord, you are who you say you are and you've done what you've said you've done and I need to receive what you say you've given. I believe the promise, right? So that's the first step. That's the first step, right? Second step is you got a desire to grow in that relationship, right? And, and that's that's a whole other can of worms because sometimes we receive the grace of God but we grow cold to the grace of God. Sometimes we're followers of Christ but we kind of lost our way in the following. We, we, we're dutiful. We're faithful. We keep doing the wrong things. It's not necessarily that we're throwing ourselves headlong into all this the sin of the world but we're still good people, church people, Christian people but we know in our hearts we've stopped responding to God. We've grown cold to God. We've grown self-satisfied, self-confident, self-focused, self-glorifying. We look to ourselves to solve our problems. We're not asking God for grace. We're just asking God for a little bit of help. It's not enough to simply have taken the first step in relationship. We need to continue desiring to grow in that relationship. We need to be pursuing a heart of humility and responsive love to the outpouring love of God. If we want to grow in our strength, we need to renew our joy. And to renew our joy means we need to renew our experience of God's grace. Which means showing up once again vulnerably and humbly in our need. That's all it takes. 
You don't have to prove yourself worthy. You don't have to beat yourself up for lost time. You don't have to despise yourself because, man, I've just grown distant from God. The only thing you need to do is, once again, rediscover your humility, confess your need, and come to receive grace. That's the beautiful thing about God, man. He is, when we feel distant from God, he hasn't gone anywhere. He's where he's always been. We're the ones that moved. We're the ones that, that have started telling a story about him that's not true or about ourselves that, that makes us feel independent, unworthy, self-satisfied, or condemned. God's been sitting at the table of grace, inviting you home the whole time. So let's begin there. Let's begin by receiving the grace of God, responding to the grace of God, rediscovering that place of, of humble, vulnerable need that can reawaken our appetite for true joy, for God's real love and a transformative experience of his presence. Let's prepare our hearts for a renewed experience of joy. Let's show up with faith so that once again we can hope. And that begins by having the, the humility to show up with our honest need. Let's start there this morning. All right, I'm going to close for us. We're going to close in word of prayer. And uh, we're going to share communion and sing our way out. But let's pray and worship God. Father, we thank you that you are a God of grace, that you that you continually invite us home. Lord, I know it's so easy for me to start believing lies. Lies that, that uh, I don't know, sometimes that I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy of love. I'm not worthy of joy. Sometimes they're the lies of, of I don't need it. <laughs> that I'm self-satisfied, that I'm successful, that I've got this. Sometimes they're the lies that if I could just experience this thing, go to this place, catch the attention of this person, then I'll be okay. Lord, there are so many things that compete in my heart with you. Lord, I pray that you would reawaken my desire for your love. The Lord, you would give me the whole vulnerability to come with my need and nothing more. Just my need. No need to impress. No need to prove. No need to earn. Just need. Knowing, Lord, that you delight to meet our needs and cover us in grace. I pray for my friends, Lord, that you would awaken this desire as well. And if there's anyone, Lord, who has not yet, not yet believed in your Son, yet not yet received the gift of grace, that this morning they might do so. And I pray this in the beautiful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and all of God's people said,